1727, Quakers in Britain first said this is wrong. In 1761, they said anybody that owned slaves should be disowned. Lancaster meeting didn't do that. In 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums, we're delving into the collections to discover objects that can tell us stories about the past and make us think about the present and future. I'm Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. Today's object is a small book which tells the story of a journey in 1766. When you read it, you get no indication that the entries were written by someone deeply involved in Lancaster's transatlantic slave trading past. Today's object is Dodgson Foster's diary. The book is roughly A5 in size, but the spine is at the top, shorter edge. The cover is brown with a floral pattern around the edges that's still just discernible. The pages were originally blank, but over the years it has been used by several people at different times. Some of the pages contain poetry by Dodgson Foster's son Miles, while others are filled with copies of letters sent to family members. A number of the pages were used by Dodgson Foster himself to record the details of a journey that he took with his wife to Bristol. Those who have heard the name Dodgson Foster before are likely to have heard that he was both a Quaker and involved in the slave trade. We spoke to Anne Morgan, who has been researching into the Lancaster Quaker involvement in slavery, to find out more about Dodgson. Well, Dodgson Foster was a Lancaster Quaker who actually was not born here. He was born in Durham. He was born there in 1730, the son of a wealthy merchant. And his mother's maiden name was Dodgson, which is where that unusual name comes from. It's not clear when he came to Lancaster at all, actually, but we think that as a teenager he would have met Lancaster Quakers at various meetings that Quakers hold, and that might have been the draw to come to Lancaster. Or he could have just been quite wise and have realised trading was easier to do from Lancaster with America and the West Indies than certainly it was on the East Coast from Durham. We know that he actually inherited a huge amount of money when he was only seven years of age. He inherited the equivalent of £162,000 from a, a great-uncle, Robert Foster, who was a merchant in Rotterdam. And then later on, in 1751, he inherits another £22,000 to add to his haul, if shall we say. So when he's actually in Lancaster, he's actually carrying about £180,000 that he can actually invest. And at the Quaker meeting, he meets up with another young man of a similar age to himself called John Heathcote the second son of an aristocratic family in Derbyshire. Uh, John had been apprenticed to Thomas Satterthwaite, another Lancaster Quaker involved in slavery. And the two young men team up together and they have a ship built called the Barbara. That ship made three slaving voyages from Lancaster, taking 385 enslaved people they took from Africa to Kingston in Jamaica. Dodgson Foster has enough money to also invest in another ship that John Hethcote owns, the Bold, and so he's got an interest in a second slaving ship. That ship, we believe, did five voyages, and on each occasion it carried 150 enslaved people. John dies suddenly in 1758. That is the same year that Lancaster meeting would hear of the yearly meeting pronouncement saying that slaving was wrong. Now, what we don't know is whether John's death 
or whether this pronouncement caused Dodson to stop slave trading. But within a month of John's death, the Barbara is put up for sale at the Sun Hotel in Lancaster. And that really is the end of Dodson Foster's actually involvement in slave trading and in slavery, because he then turns to his father-in-law, because he marries Elizabeth Burkett, whose father was Miles, was actually a prominent Quaker, banker, merchant in Lancaster, with properties in Antigua, and through Miles he develops other commercial activity. Still, we've got to be honest, trading in goods produced by enslaved people. Not actually trading people, but he's nevertheless trading in the goods that they produce. Next, we looked at the diary he left behind, which deals with only one very specific period of time and gives no hint about Dodgson's connections to the transatlantic slave trade. The diary that he writes is really specifically about a journey that he takes with his wife, Elizabeth, who is ailing from a digestive disorder. And he actually goes into graphic detail about her ailments and the way in which they tried to treat it in those days. It's very clear what a romantic, I would say, and loving relationship they actually had. He waxes eloquent about her in the diary. He obviously doesn't mention slavery because we're talking about 1766, so he's well out of acting as a slave trader. And in fact, it's clear that he's made sufficient money out of his colonial activities to be able to go off for six, seven weeks without worrying about the business. So he's clearly become quite wealthy. We know that during that time, he actually was trading mahogany. He brought mahogany in for the gillows and he bought furniture from the gillows during that time as well. But it really concentrates on this journey. It's interesting how he meets up with other Quakers along the way. He met up with the Gurneys, who were a Quaker banking family from Norfolk, who in fact have a relationship with the Rawlingson family. Another Quaker family of Lancaster, Abraham Rawlingson, junior, junior, shall we say, he became the managing partner of Gurney's in Norfolk at one stage in his career. So that's quite interesting, these connections that they make along the way. Dodson became quite significant in the Quaker meeting. He was even appointed to write a report on the result of an inquiry into members involved in slavery in 1785. Why the meeting chose him, and clearly they didn't see there was a conflict of interest at all in him his having been a slave trader, and none of that is mentioned in this diary, of course, because it's really about Elizabeth, poor Elizabeth, her ailments and her illness. We have mentioned several times already that Dodgson Foster was a Quaker, this means that he was a member of the Religious Society Friends, as were many of the other Lancaster merchants at the time. Anne went on to tell us what this would have meant for Dodgson. Well, the Religious Society of Friends, our founder, was a man called George Fox, and he was born in 1624, so we're talking well before Dodgson's time. He left home in 1643, and he said he was leaving home to seek the truth, because he had come to the conclusion that... If you were going to worship God, you did not need a priest to intercede for you. You could speak directly to God yourself. You didn't need to do it in a church. Why did you have to pay a tithe to the church? And that was his main message in these early days. I mean, he actually came to Lancaster and he preached outside the Priory Church in 1652 against the priest at the church. And the congregation came out and stoned him. And they stoned him all the way down Church Street to St. Leonard's Street and there, there was a man called John Lawson who had a sugar house and he actually took Fox in 
And Fox converted John Lawson, and John Lawson became the very first Quaker in Lancaster. Fox also went up onto Pendle Hill in Lancashire. He walked around the whole of this area. Quakerism spread. It spread throughout the world. And we get people from America, from all over the world, who are Quakers, coming to this area to walk in the footsteps of George Fox. Even in Dodgson's time, most Quakers were against slavery. So why were so many of Lancaster's Quakers in the 18th century involved in the trade? Somebody said to me recently, I wish I could dig them up and ask them, because it is really hard to know. Slavery was absolutely embedded in society at the time. So I suppose in a way, those early Quakers were merely going along with a new industry that was developing. There were 23 ports from which slave trading ships left England. So it wasn't like it was just Liverpool, Lancaster, Bristol and London. It was right along the West Coast, including places like Whitehaven and Preston and so on. Now, it was the American Quakers who talked about equality and saying that these Africans should be treated equally. But we can see the established church was saying it was okay to enslave people. So you've got this conflict within Christianity about an approach to slavery. And George Fox doesn't oppose it because Quakers in America had slaves before they became Quakers. So he justifies Quakers being involved by saying, you should treat them well. You should introduce them to Christianity. You should give them time to worship. He also says, for the benefit of the governor of Barbados when he visits there, that Quaker masters should ensure that their slaves are law-abiding. There had been an uprising. So it's really, really difficult. Fox didn't speak out against it. But the church did in 1727 because there had been a a petition from a German town in Pennsylvania saying that slavery was wrong. London Yearly Meeting condemned slavery. So well before Donaldson Foster and the Lancaster slave traders were involved, the Quaker church was actually saying this is wrong. It's the one thing that Lancaster Meeting today in 2023 finds really difficult to cope with. We are quite upset to find that this group of people were behaving in this way, that they were not actually listening to what was coming from London Yearly Meeting. They were more concerned with unity of this young church. So they were disowning people for marrying out. They were disowning people for getting repeatedly into debt, uh, for joining a militia. Two of the Rawlingson brothers were disowned for privateering, that is, stealing a ship, basically, with a letter of mark and the ship's contents. And so numbers of Quakers were actually disappearing a little. And I've searched and searched our archive to see if there's any reference to anybody being admonished, shall we say, for being involved in slavery. And I can find nothing. Now, these men were powerful men in Lancaster. They were rich merchants. The Quaker church at that stage was much more diverse than we are today. There would be agricultural workers, a lot of the church. There would be people working for these organisations, reliant on these rich merchants for their jobs and for their livings. This is my opinion. So I think there was a nervousness about tackling these powerful men. We asked Anne to tell us when Lancaster's Quaker involvement in the slave trade ended and whether Dodgson was typical of the Quakers who had been involved. The one-line answer is no, he wasn't typical. (laughs) He was atypical because he wasn't in it for very long. 
because he turned to colonial trading and found that much more profitable. There are 18 Lancaster Quaker merchants who were involved in slavery. I'm using this broader term because some were not involved in trading people, but they were involved in ownership of them. There were also two Quaker women actively involved in a company that was trading slaves. And they were Mary Rawlingson and her daughter Lydia Rawlingson. They were part of Abraham Rawlingson Jr., the son of Thomas Hutton Rawlingson's family. He set up his own company and they were given a sixth share each in that company. Thomas Rawlingson was very heavily involved. He, with Thomas Bond, his partner, who was an Anglican, by the 1790s, they owned six plantations, four of which they acquired through government mortgages. Our government was putting up mortgages for people to buy plantations, so they bought a plantation on St Vincent, on Granada, on Berbris and Demerara. It's quite horrifying, actually, to find so many involved in different ways. Well, as I've said, in 1727, Quakers in Britain first said, this is wrong. And then again in 1758, they continued that story. In 1761, they said anybody that owned slaves should be disowned. Lancaster Meeting didn't do that. They even ignored a letter they had in 1792 from York friends saying, we know one of your number is involved in ownership of slaves, but we expect you've done something about it. Well, they haven't. They didn't. And there's no evidence in our archive that they did. It peters out, I think, as people die. But then in 1799, of course, there's legislation passed, which means that no more slaving ships can leave Lancaster. They can only sail from Liverpool, London or Bristol. The few that are still involved transfer their businesses to Liverpool. So Thomas Rawlingson, who I've mentioned, he transfers his business and he trades out of Liverpool. Lancaster meeting became involved in abolition, but not till after abolition. They became involved in supporting the American Quakers who found themselves in jail as a result of being abolitionists during the period between 1807 and 1833 when slavery is abolished throughout the British Empire. We are concerned as Quakers today in the legacies that this has left. There is no doubt that the slavery that some Quakers are involved in has left a legacy of racism in our country today. It resulted in the collapse of economies in Africa, which left them wide open to colonialism, which Great Britain was guilty of going into many countries in Africa and colonising. And they are now left with a whole problem of loss and damage to their economies. Um, they still are suffering. So as a church, we're now looking at the whole issue of reparative justice. To finish the story of Dodgson Foster, Anne told us how his son Robert took a very different route to his father. His son Robert is actually one of the more interesting characters as well in the family because Robert didn't want to be part of the family business. He went to sea, went to the Merchant Navy when he was 18. He spent a lot of time in the West Indies and because of what he was doing on board ship, he was actually meeting plantation owners. He was actually seeing the conditions under which the enslaved people were actually living on the plantations. Eventually, he comes back to England and he inherits Hebblethwaite estate from his maternal grandfather. And he's a different character altogether. He's a very kind man. He's very Quakerly. 
in many respects. And he actually builds one of the very early spinning mills. And he says, I built this for the benefit of the poor. So he's giving employment to the poor of the Sedbra area. He actually went to school in Sedbra. And in fact, he marries the daughter of the family that he stayed with when he was at school in Sedbra. So what we've got is a situation where Robert Foster sort of turns round, if you like, his father having been a slave trader into something different. And we find that in 1791, he's invited by Wilberforce to actually present information from his observations in the West Indies to the Parliamentary Select Committee looking into slavery. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. There are lots more episodes in the series examining everything from milestones to medals.